welcome to another episode of the sword and the spirit this is where we take a look at the issues of the day both in and out of the church via teaching and interviews my goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener my prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the spirit is saying to the churches Well, welcome back. I'm sure we've all seen the events of the last week and how the things that have been going on in the country, kind of frightening in some sense. And what I've been seeing, all the chatter I've been picking up on the internet via Facebook and other social platforms is the talk about it being the last days just the end of days is Christ soon to return now frankly I've been hearing this stuff since the 70s. I'm 61 years old I've been hearing this stuff since I was a kid you know we went through the whole craze uh, end times craze in the 70s you know um, all the songs and everything else we went through and yet Christ has not yet returned that doesn't mean he's not coming but people have been saying, oh, these are last days. Well, here's what the Bible says. In 1 John 2.18, it says, not only are these are last days, it says, little children, this is, this is the last hour. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, said, God, who at diverse times and in different ways spoke to us by the prophets of old, hath in these last days spoken to us through his son. And I want to make the argument that the last day started the advent of Christ. Just like D-Day started the end of the, of the of World War II, was the beginning of the end of World War II, the advent of Christ, his birth, was the beginning. That was God's D-Day when he began to reclaim mankind and humanity. That doesn't mean he wasn't working redemptively before that, but this is when the, the, the redemption begins in, in earnest and in full. And so we've been in the last days since Christ has returned. Now, the Bible says a thousand, uh, a thousand years is, is one day to God. It's simply saying that God is outside of time. And our time doesn't really affect him. So what seems like an eternity to us is nothing to him. So when he says quickly, you can't think our clock. You have to think his clock, which he doesn't have a clock. Time. So... Whether it comes now or a hundred years from now, as far as he's concerned, it's quickly. Say, oh, 2,000 plus years. Well, that's, if you take that in a wooden literal sense, that's two days. All right? So nothing to God. And people are looking at the signs. Oh, look at all the signs, wars, rumors of wars, all of this. But there's one particular sign that I think we miss that I want to emphasize today because I think it was so grossly overlooked and a lot of times we misunderstand it and people are cheering about it but in reality it's nothing to cheer about 
There's nothing to be happy about. And it has to deal with the so-called restoration of the five-fold ministries. To be certain, you can't restore things that have never been lost. Now, we may not have been practicing them. We may not have been using the proper names. In that sense, I guess you could restore it. But to say that something has to be restored is to assume that God stopped working. And God's always at work. And God's always working for his own ends and his own purposes. And nothing can stop it from happening. All right. So we're going to go on here and we're going to discuss what is it that we're missing in the prophecies of Matthew 24. Which you can also find in Mark 13 and Luke 21. That's referred to as the Olivet Discourse. We will not harmonize them today, but today we'll just deal with Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 4. We're not going to read the whole chapter. You know the story of the Olivet Discourse, Christ's disciples asking, what shall be the sign of his coming? When shall he, he return? What, should, what do we look for? Legitimate questions, right? And then Christ gives them an answer. He, he says several things, wars, rumors of wars, nations shall rise against nations, etc. But I want to emphasize one particular point because he seems to re keep repeating certain things. When, to me, when Christ... He's repeating certain things over and over again. It's important to take a good look at it. So let's look at this. In 24, verse 4, he says, See that no one leads you astray. Verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. There's one reference to being led astray. Then you go down to verse 10. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So there's a second reference to people being led astray by false prophets. Then the third reference to it is down here in verse 23. Where he says, Then if anyone says to you, Lord, look. He is here in the here is the Christ, or there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, "Look, he's in the wilderness," do not go out. If they say, "Look, he is in the inner rooms," do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. So he gives several references to deception linked to false prophets that are proliferation and increase of false prophets. What do we see in our modern times in the body of Christ? A, a massive increase since the 80s. By the mid-80s it started to pick up, but it really took up steam in the, in, by the time it got to the 90s. And now it's full steam ahead. And now you have a proliferation of prophets all over the place. Everybody's a prophet. Everybody's God is speaking directly to me. And everybody thinks they have they have a 
a bead on God and what, what is God saying to the, to the nation? What is God saying about who's going to win the election? What is God saying about this and that? And then when they're wrong and they miss the prophecy so-called, then they go back to the 95% thing. Well, you know, you can be 95% right, 94% of the time I'm correct. And, and I've been seeing this in churches since I've been growing up. You know, the, the guy comes in and he has a prophetic word for people and, you know, calling people out and God is saying this and that and the other. And, you know, this is your year. God, and every year is going to be your year. Every year is going to be, this is the one, you know, uh, blessings are, are going to come into you this year. And it's always blessings. It's never troubles coming to you this year. You know, I, I think about all the prophets that said 2020 was going to be the year of blessing and increase and so on and so forth. And 2020 turned out to be the year from hell. So you've got this proliferation of false prophets, but people, for whatever reasons, keep running behind them, keep believing them, keep thinking that this is what God is saying. And everybody's running around trying to figure out what is God saying? What is God saying? What is God saying? When God has already made clear what he's saying in scripture. But we've gotten to the point now where we have lost confidence in scripture to effect the change that God says it can, it can do. And so now we're going to extra biblical revelation. God is speaking to me and God is showing me and God is saying this. And you even got some who go so far as to want to eliminate the Bible altogether. We don't need no book. You know, and they pit the Bible against the Holy Spirit as though the Bible and the Holy Spirit are locked in mortal combat or something. Well, as we're going to see later on here in this uh, in this uh, in this series, that's not the case. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible, so why would he be in conflict with something he wrote? That makes no sense. So it's his book, so the Bible's going to verify what the Holy Spirit is doing, and so on and so forth. But that's what you have going on now. The proliferation of prophets. And so there's going to be an increase. And that's one of the signs of the times. And to the point where some of these false prophets are even going to be able to display signs and wonders, miracles. But the goal is to lead you astray. To take you off in a different sec section away from God. That's their, that's their ultimate goal. Now, what I want to do is talk about how to avoid being fooled and tricked by these people. The Bible gives us clues. But anyway, number one, how to avoid being fooled. Establish a baseline of truth. What is your baseline of truth? What is your true north? For the believer, for the Christian, it is the Bible, the word of God. That's our compass, and it points always to true north. So anytime somebody gives you a word or a prophecy or whatever, it should line up with scripture. Now, I know people can misinterpret the scripture. We're going to do a series on how to properly understand scripture because people think you can read it and then make it say whatever you want. And that's not how that works. The Bible is literature and it should be interpreted the same way you interpret any other piece of literature. Some parts of it are poetry, then you use However poetry is interpreted, that's how you interpret it. Some parts are history, then you can't take a historical book and then try to turn it into poetry. You can't take poetry and try and turn it into history. It, it doesn't work. 
And so we have to keep everything in its particular context. And sometimes Christ is using hyperbole, other times he's not. You got to know the difference. But the Bible is our baseline truth. At least if we stay, even if you stay in the Bible and you don't know how to properly interpret it or understand it, at least you're going to be in the ballpark. But when you leave the Bible, you get way out of the ballpark. You're not even close to what anything can be saying. So for us as Christians, and for me as a Christian, my baseline of truth is the Word of God. Secondly, you have to love truth. Second Thessalonians 2 9 through 12, says that God has sent them strong delusion because to, so they would believe a lie because they didn't love the truth. People get sucked into false teaching because they don't love the truth. What do you mean? You went to a church, you heard the truth, the pastor's preaching the word of God, but you're not satisfied with that. For some bizarre reason, people want something more electrifying and exciting or whatever. And so they say, ah, oh, you know, he, he has no anointing, I'm out. And then you go somewhere else. And because the guy can, can hoop and rear back and sweat and and it's exciting and some people are just naturally dynamic. I call it the it fragile. Some people are just gifted with the gift of the gab and they can they can mesmerize you with their speech. That doesn't mean he's right on. And so people go over there and before you know it, he's taking people in all kinds of crazy directions. And I'm not saying that if somebody's boring, that means that they're they're on point. Some people are boring and off point too. That can also happen. But you have to love the truth. There's got to be a love for the truth. When you, you're seeking truth, I want to know what is true. I want to know what is real. I don't have time for lies and games. And stop telling me God is saying things that, you know, that, that, that he's not saying. I just want to know the truth and only the truth of what the word of God says. But if you have a, a love for the truth, God will keep you and it will keep you away from error. Number three, you have to learn how to discern true from false prophets. To discern true from false prophets. Now, yeah, I'm not going to read it. I did it in another segment, in our first segment on the New Dark Ages. I went through Second Chronicles 18 and talked about how Jehoshaphat and Ahab, Ahab said, Ramoth Gilead is ours, we should go up and take it. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let's call for the prophets. Notice when the prophets came in and they did all their little prophesying or prophet lying, at that point, the righteous king, Jehoshaphat, said, isn't there a real prophet here? False prophets, people, false prophets, they are sycophants, yes men, and they only prophesy smooth things. Be suspicious when somebody declares himself a prophet. And they only prophesy about smooth things, good things. When they say to you, you know, not many ways hence and many days God's going to bless you. Your ship is going to come in. This is going to be your year. You're going to prosper. God's going to turn everything around for you. And see, who doesn't want God to turn things around for them? Especially if you have, some people have been going through, I watch it, you know, people in church, They've been going through some difficult times. They might have got a bad diagnosis, cancer, or sickness, incarceration of a child. It can be any number of things that's wrong. Well, I want good things to happen to them too. I don't want them to stay in that condition. But here's what I'm not going to do. 
if God's not telling me he's going to turn it around for them, I'm not going to get up there and tell them a lie as much as I may want to. Now, I may give them some encouragement, like trust God, hold on, you know, um, you know, let God fight your battles. I'll give them some encouragement and things like that. And or quote some scriptures that God has a has has a plan for them. And it's always good in the, it always ends up good. But while they're in their process, I don't know how long they're going to be in that process. And I don't want to tell them this year you're coming out. I don't know. Now, what these guys do is it's a numbers game. If I tell 30 people that this is their year, in fact, the more people you tell, the more likely you are to hit. You don't need God to do that. You know, I like these guys on TV. They start praying and say, there's somebody out there that has cancer. Well, there's 50 million people watching me. Of course, somebody has cancer. And I'll take it a step further because God is always active in the earth. Some people are going to make it. God is going to heal them and allow them to live. So, yeah. Then people write in, oh, my God, this so-and-so prayed for me and my cancer went away. Well, what about the people that got prayed for and the cancer did not go away? Well, they're dead, so they can't write your letter now, can they? So it's a numbers game. So the more people are watching me, I can't miss. Don't fall for it. That does not necessarily mean that God is speaking to them. Now, people say, well, can God use that? Of course he can. God can use anything, uh, to be sure. I remember that same type of show was on one day, and a friend of mine was doing some uh, door-to-door witnessing. And we decided to use, the, when we knocked on the door, we would approach him and say, the kingdom of God has come near to you today. Well, this person just happened to be watching Christian television, and she prayed to accept the Lord. And But she wanted more teaching. She wanted to know, is this real? Is this true? Well, she had just turned off the program, and we knocked on the door and said, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And she broke down crying. So, yes, God can use anything. But, like, you know, you hear people say the clock that doesn't run is right twice a day. Every once in a while. You know, God will will bounce some things off of that, even as crazy as some of that stuff is, and use it. So I'm not saying God can't use these things, but I'm telling you the person who's telling you that they're speaking to God, and God is telling them that somebody out there has cancer, they're just doing numbers. So if I come to your church and you have a large church or you have X amount of people, the more people that come up for prayer, the more likely I am to hit, the more likely I am to be accurate. So. That does not necessarily mean that God is speaking through them. But they're sycophants. They're always telling you good things. They never call out sin. I'm not saying you've got to get people up in church and, and, and read them publicly about their sin. But, you know, you can drop the mic, man, lower the mic down and just whisper in the ear or something, you know, and just talk to them. You know, but they never confront sin. Never. Everything is just wonderful. Now, please, don't go to church and you see the guy put the mic down. Oh, he must be telling them about sin. Maybe it could be some other personal things that they don't want revealed. But beware when everything is good. Or beware when everything is designed to frighten you. I've been in services where the so-called and they try to scare the bejesus out of people. They'll go off in tongues, rap, bap, 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 bug their eyes and come charging at you. And you're there. And people were in terror, sheer terror. 
They'll say to the Lord, you've got 60 days to get it together. You've got 30 days, ah, you know. And God's always, you know, so it's either one of those two extremes. Either God's always blessing people or the other extreme is God killing people. You've got X amount of time to, to listen to the man of God. And what is happening is you have the pastor and then you got the prophet. The pastor is a tribal chief and the prophet is the witch doctor that keeps the people in line. So he helps him control the people. So the pastor has things he want to say to you, but he don't want to say it. So he brings in the prophet, and then the prophet comes out and says whatever he has to say to you, you know, to get you in line. Beware of stuff like that. Beware of stuff like that. A good pastor doesn't need a prophet or anybody to come in. The pastor, if he's a man of God, he's going to take you on the side, and he's going to deal with you straight up, you know. Look you in the eye and say, da-da-da-da-da-da. It doesn't matter whether you receive it or not. That's a good pastor. He doesn't need to bring somebody in from the outside to say what he want to say, but he don't want to say because he's scared. Or he doesn't want to fall out of favor with you. Or, you know, people start voting with their ties. Well, I ain't tithing no more. You speak with their money. They get mad when you say things they don't like. But a good man of God doesn't care about that. He's going to tell you the truth. Uh, no matter what. So when you see people are sycophants and they're always yes men... And always, you know, telling you what you want to hear, and, and it's always all positive. Yes, you're going to win the election, sir. I've seen fighters, people prophesy, so-and-so is going to win this fight because he's a big donor to that church. And so now, because he's a big donor to that church, God's going to let him win. And he goes in there and he loses. And in some cases, they get knocked out. And I was like, well, that was a false prophecy. Or the football player that... They told him if he pay his tithes and everything else, and God's going to bless him. And he, 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 he drops the pass that would have won the game. Then he sends out a tweet complaining about why God let this happen to me. As if though God is taking sides in sporting events. But that's a whole other uh, study in and of itself. In this segment, we're going to talk about discerning the truth. Discerning the truth. How do I know this prophecy is really coming from God? How do I know this is what God is actually saying? Because you coming over to me and you telling me that, you know, thus saith the Lord God, right? You told me I'm going to win the fight. You told me I'm going to catch the pass. You told me I'm going to win the election. You told me all these wonderful things are going to happen for me, right? Because you're the prophet of God. In Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Let's look at that right quick. Deuteronomy 18. Turn your pages. Starting at verse 15. Deuteronomy 15, 18. I'm sorry, 1815. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. And it says, The Lord your God will raise up for your prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now, God talks about, in that context, raising up a prophet that's just like Moses. And by the way, since Moses, even Elijah and Elijah, 
Nobody was like Moses until Christ showed up. So keep that in mind. Okay. Verse, let's go down to verse 18 of chapter 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself required of him. But look at verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Verse 21, if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, here it is, saints. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, this is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So the first test is if you say God said this is going to happen. And then it does not happen. At that point, you don't have to fear that man. He's a false prophet. He's a false prophet. He's not from God. You're going to win the election. You're going to win the fight. You're going to catch the pass. And none of those things happen. False prophet. This is going to be your year. You're going to be blessed. Your train is coming in. Everything's going to work out beautiful. And it didn't happen for you that year the way they prophesied it was going to. False prophet. At that point, stop listening to them. Pay them no attention. I'm not saying hate them. I'm not saying write them nasty letters. Just stop listening to them. Move on. Move on. Because they're not from God. And don't, no matter what anybody tells you, it must be 100%. When these guys say, oh, I'm 94% right, I'm 80%. No, 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 no. Then you're not a prophet. Based on scriptures. Hug the text of scripture close. Do not deviate from it. No matter how much they try to convince you, well, you know, it must be. You know, I just, I just missed it. No, not a prophet. I'm not paying any attention to you. The second test, Deuteronomy 13. This has to do with lying wonders. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign of wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. And you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Any prophecy. That comes to pass, a sign or a wonder or whatever. But then, that prophet then begins to move you into new doctrine, new teachings. So I should take you in, in other directions away from Jesus Christ, where the focus is off of Christ 
and the focus is on them, where you have to send them money and you have to make them rich and I'm God's man and you touch not my anointed nor do my prophets any harm. And when they start going down those kinds of roads and they start having honor me services, etc., etc., they're leading you away from Christ. Ignore them. Leave them alone. It's a test. God is just testing. God only let it come to pass because he's testing you. He wants to see if you love him, the, prop, the false prophet. Because let's face it, we're personality driven. People love personalities. And so if a guy is charismatic and, he, you know, you have a lot of fun and you, you like the way he talks, he tells good stories, et cetera, et cetera, we become addicted to that individual. And that personality eclipses our relationship with God until finally that's all we're doing. I knew one guy, some people only buy certain books by certain preachers. And they can't, nobody else can hear from God except that preacher, man. He's, a, you know, he's it. And so you've got two mediators. You got you got the preacher, you got Jesus, and then then you got God. But then after a while, it's no longer it doesn't it doesn't even begin to be two. And then it becomes the preacher and then God. I'm hearing my pastor, this guy here, this guy that I like, my favorite TV preacher or whoever, my favorite evangelist. And we all have our favorites. I have mine, but I'm not crazy about them to the sense of where that's all I can listen to. I go to the Bible myself, and that's what you should do. Learn to get into the Word of God for yourself. Don't get caught up on one personality. But because we're personality-driven, give me a case in point. Let's say you have a very charismatic pastor, and you got a mega church, and oh my God, you, you know, he's electrifying, and you love to hear him preach. You know, I feel like you're in heaven. Okay, well and good. Nothing wrong with that. God gifts some people in different ways. But that time comes, he, God takes him off the scene. Let's say he passes away. You got to get a new pastor. Now, the new pastor comes in. There's nothing wrong with him. He's biblically sound. He's grounded. He's giving you the word of God. He's exegeting the, the script, passages of scripture just as well as the last pastor was doing. But he's not as charismatic or dynamic or electrifying as the last one. He doesn't have that natural charisma. But he's good. If you want to learn the word of God, you want to get grow, this is the guy. He's doing a good job. And there's literally nothing wrong with him. People tend to leave. You know, it's when, when, when the, the famous whoever preacher dies in any church, the, the, the attendance goes down because those are the people who are attached to the church, not because God put me here in this body. We're going to talk a little bit about that in another program, about what it means to, to join a church. But it's not that God planted me here in this particular body. I'm just here for the fish and the loaves. And when the fish and loaves run out and this personality is no longer here, I'm done. Peace, we out. And you're gone. Because those are the personality-driven people. And then they start making excuses. Well, he don't preach like the last one. He ain't as good. I got to find somebody as good. And so it's like a junkie. You know, a junkie's always looking for that first high. They never find it. And these people become spiritual junkies and looking for that high that that pastor or that preacher used to give them. Newsflash, you're not going to find it. And it could be that God wants to take you in a different direction. Now, for all the charismatic that, that Moses had, all the power he had, Joshua wasn't even close to anything like, like Moses. But when Moses passed away, God chose Joshua. He didn't send him another Moses. He said, I'll send you a guy like Moses, but just not yet. 
And then when the guy who did show up, who was who was not just, not only like Moses, but better than Moses, which was Christ, they crucified him. Wonderful people. But look. So Joshua comes along. So he doesn't have the charisma of a Moses. But God told the people, follow him. This is my man. So the guy following the charismatic guy may not be as good as the charismatic guy was. You may never have a guy like that. But he was good for his moment, and the guy that God puts in there is good for his time period. It's not for you to run out the door or be driven by personality. Amen. Throw gets a little dry sometimes. Okay. Now. How are some of the ways that this gospel gets distorted? Because he, the prophecy came through. How, what do they do? Like I just showed you, they distort the gospel. They start giving you another gospel other than the one that was delivered to you. And start teaching you things that's not in Scripture because it's extra biblical. Red flag that. Another thing you're going to get is newspaper eschatology. Uh, as Hank Hanegraaff calls it. I like the way he puts it, newspaper eschatology, Bible in one hand, newspaper in the next. And so then they read the newspaper, and then they try to go to the Bible to find, to find the events of the day, the news events of the day in the Bible. It don't work like that, saints. There's no way possible you can find every single event that happens in, 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 in real time in the Bible. It's not, it's not that type of book. That's not what it's written for. And you notice how these guys always figure out what the Bible means after the fact. Oh, it's really this. They never get it beforehand. That's, be, that's very suspect. Be suspicious of that. You don't want to get to newspaper eschatology. Always after the fact. It happens first, then they run back to the Bible. Look, look, look. That's nonsense. We don't do that. The next thing they do is mixing conspiracy theory. Mixing conspiracy theories with the Bible. You've got a host of conspiracy theories out here now that are flying around the place. And people swear that these conspiracy theories are linked to the scripture. It's 5G. There's a deep cabal where Hillary Clinton has sex slave trading and Hillary Clinton is eating children. And she, she has a sex trafficking uh, thing going on. Uh, 5G is what's making us sick. COVID-19 was a diabolical plot, you know, of biological warfare or, or, um, you know, there are lizard people in this one got me lizard people in the white house running the government. Um, yeah, you know, Bigfoot, everything. Listen, stop running behind these insane and inane conspiracy theories, you know, um, and I know some of you uh, right now, I'm not turned some of you off already, but that's all. This broadcast is for people that love the truth and don't have time to waste on, on nonsense, you know. And so people come up with conspiracy theories. But when you ask them, says who, where's the facts? Isn't it? The problem with conspiracy theories is that they can never be proven or disproved. They just lead to circular arguments in a big circle. And then you can expand on them. And they get crazier by the more. The more, the more you feed into them, the crazier they get. And more ridiculous. But you can never prove them. And that's why we don't run behind it. Now, the Bible warns us against conspiracy theories. 
running behind conspiracies. In Isaiah, the eighth chapter. See, conspiracy theories are not new. They've been doing this like forever. In Isaiah, chapter eight. Verse 11, it says this. 8.11. And it reads as thus. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me, and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, and here's what God told him, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. In other words, stop running behind these people's conspiracy theories and feeding into all this nonsense. Deep state, shadow governments. Um, there, there's a, 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 a group of bankers that run the world. Bill Gates is making vaccine because he wants population control. And, and then they try to tie that to scripture. Nothing, none of this is in scripture, people. None of it. So I don't pay it any attention because none of it's in scripture. And if it, even if it were true, hey, it's all the more sooner Christ is coming. What are you going to do about it? Besides nothing. No, we have to focus on the mission of the church. We don't get caught up in conspiracy theories. But these prophets will take you into these crazy conspiracy theories. Let the Bible stand alone. God says, I want to be your only source of truth. Let it stand by itself. Don't add anything to it. it doesn't, God, doesn't, God needs no help. No conspiracy theories here. The next thing that happens that these guys, false prophets, lead you astray with is beware when someone comes to you with a new and a fresh revelation. New and fresh revelation. You know, and they like to take that scripture out of context. Like, I will do a new thing. The new thing God was going to do was bringing Christ into the world to bring redemption to man. That was a new thing. The new song is in heaven. The old song in heaven was holy, holy, holy. The new song is about Christ. Thou art worthy to receive blessing, glory, honor, and power. That's the new song. It's not a new thing like, you know, well, you used to, you used to work in, in, in the, uh, in the, in shop right but now the new thing is you're going to be a ceo of a fortune 500 company well that might happen but that's not the new thing god is talking about in scripture but when come people come to you with fresh a new revelation i remember a guy came to me one time with allegedly new revelation and he said you know the tithe is for the priest and so your tithe doesn't go to the church it goes to the preacher i said okay well let's read the whole text and let's see if we're going to go down that road well, in the text in Leviticus, and he called it first fruits, it tells you why the priest got the tithe. Because the priest was not allowed by God to own anything. They had no inheritance in Israel. They, had, they couldn't own land, property. They couldn't own nothing. That's why the tithe went to them. So they could take care of themselves, basic needs, feed themselves, etc. But by and large, that's it. So I said, so now all these preachers are living in these gated communities and, you know, and these jets and everything. They, they can't own them anymore. They got to let them go if you're going to go down that road. They can no longer have ownership. But anyway, I digress. 
So when people come to you with fresh words and new revelations, put up a red flag. In 2 Peter verses 1, 3, and 4, it tells us in the Bible that God gives us all things that pertains to life and godliness, that by these we can become partaker of, of the divine nature. What that means, saints, is that God has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. We don't need anything else. And lastly, but not least, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 28. If I can take that back, I've got one more after this one. Isaiah 8, verse 20. We're still talking about discerning whether something's from God or not. Isaiah 8, verse 20. And it says this, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or no light or no truth in them. Any prophecy that's given to you, any so-called word from God or insight, must align itself with Scripture and the testimony. We're going to pay close attention to that testimony. We're going to talk about what that testimony is. My last point, I was going to tie that testimony to the next one. So I'm not going to ride that horse just yet until we, we get to the last Scripture. But yes, everything... Every subjective experience, God is speaking to me, must be tested by objective truth, the word of God. Anybody gives you any word, you have a right to go to the word of God and let the word of God judge whether that's from God or not. So then you can actually say, well, I'm not judging, the word of God is judging it. But how many times have I heard people give people a word and it just doesn't line up with scripture at all? Very common thing to happen. So that's why I say, even fact check me. Never become a passive listener. The people who listen to this show, hopefully if I don't do anything else, is that you don't become passive listeners and I challenge the status quo enough to where you want to say, let me check this guy out and see if he's on, on the up and up. Let's see what's happening here. Or, you know, let me, let me check these scriptures out. And go look at it for yourself. And see it for yourself. But never become a passive listener. We just listen to something and don't do your own fact-checking and your own investigation. Otherwise, it's kind of pointless. You, and, you, and you grow a lot better that way when you listen to a teaching and then you, you, you can assimilate it if it's good by fact-checking it and, and you know making sure it's on the up and up. And if it isn't, then you also protect yourself because you'll say, oh, that's a bunch of baloney. I'm not buying that. But it has to be according to the law and testimony. It will never, no prophecy will ever, ever violate scripture. It's just not going to happen. And when it's in a violation of scripture, of the biblical text, then you have every reason to be suspicious. For example, when you have this plethora of books written about people dying and going to heaven, and then they come back and they give you a blow-by-blow -blow description, I've read several books like that, and number one, they all contradict each other. I'm like, okay, they all can't be right. So somebody's lying. Number two, the Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven, and he said, 
it was not lawful for him to speak about what he saw. So here's Paul the Apostle, caught up to the third heaven. He can't tell you what he saw. He can't go into detail. Not lawful. But now I suddenly show up, ordinary me, and I pop up, and I'm coming back here with a blow-by-blow description. Same thing when these people want to take trips into hell, and then they get into hell. And, and if you know anything about Dante's Inferno, the devil's sitting in hell, and he's ruling on some sort of throne. You know, he's telling the demons, take the pitchfork and stick him in the butt. Uh, he's not suffering, you know, uh, take him down to level 35, you know, let him suffer. Listen, in hell, the devil doesn't rule in hell. The The Bible says, David said, if I make my bed in hell, God is there. The only person ruling in hell is God himself. God rules heaven, earth, hell, all that's in, under 100% the control of God, number one. So the devil's not ruling anything. He's down there suffering like everybody else. But this stuff is Dante's Inferno. And so people take this these tour bus tours of hell. And, you know, like I like I I do like um not screw tape letters. Uh this is a, one book that uh C. S. Lewis wrote and talked about a bus tour to heaven. But he didn't say he went to heaven. He was just simply giving concepts of what he thought heaven would be like. That's different. But these people actually say, I actually went to heaven. I actually went in hell and God gave me a blow by blow tour. Don't buy it, because when you match it up against scripture, it's all unbiblical. The whole concept of hell is just weird. And these people talk about heaven is just weird. Uh, don't buy it. In fact, one book I think they even discovered turned out to be fake. The, 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 the boy and the mother came out and said that the father, who happened to be a pastor, just sort of made it up out of whole cloth. And now let's go to Revelations 19. And to me, this is the big, the big finale. Revelations 19, I believe, verse 10. Easy book to find because it's the end of the Bible. Revelations 19. I'm turning my pages, but I know you're turning yours. Revelation 19, verse 10. It reads this way. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. Notice angels don't accept worship. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he says this, worship God. And listen to what he says, worship God. Now here's where the testimony comes in. For well, the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. Did you get that? The testimony of Jesus, the story of Jesus. Where do you find it? In the spirit of prophecy. Now, true prophecy, true prophecy, ultimately is to bring the hearer to Christ. It's about Jesus. The songwriter wrote, it is Jesus. Yes, it is Jesus. It is Jesus in my soul. The testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the spirit of prophecy, it's not about you. They speak not according to the law and the testimony. What's the testimony? The testimony is about Jesus Christ. If Christ is not somewhere in there in terms of being glorified, 
or drawing you closer to him or for him, giving you a better knowledge of him. If those things aren't involved, those prophecies need to be suspect. If it's just about you and you getting out of the situation you're in and you getting blessed and God, your ship is coming in so that you can live a comfortable life and that's all there is to it. But the end of that thing isn't about worshiping Christ and becoming strong in him and knowing him, loving him, serving him. If it doesn't take you there, be suspicious, red flag it. Something's not right. You don't have to buy into it. So those are just a few. There's some other scriptures I can give, but for the sake of time, we'll do those another time. But this is what we're doing here right now, talking about not being deceived, not being tricked. Because you're going to hear all kinds of stuff in the next already. It's going to increase. It's going to get worse. Everybody's going to claim they know what God is saying. Everybody's going to claim they know what God is doing. They're lying. God's not doing that much talking anyway. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at different times in different ways spoke to us by the prophets of old. Here it has in these last days spoken to us by his son. The final word. Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last. The Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. Christ is the end of everything. I want to hear what Jesus is saying. I'm really not interested in what a lot of the other people are saying. What is Christ saying? And that's where I look at it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Christians becoming violent. Christians taking up arms with guns and stuff, running around the place, trying to save a country. Christians running behind a man, acting as though he's their savior. What is this? No, saints. We follow Christ, and our focus is on the mission of God. Thank you for listening to The Sword and the Spirit. Please pass these messages on. If you get a chance, proliferate it, spread it, others to hear it. It's been a blessing to you. God bless you, and stay strong. Thank you for listening to The Sword and the Spirit. If you have any comments or anything you want to share with me, that can be reached at rhyd12001 at gmail.com. Feel free to reach out to me if you get a chance with any comments, questions, etc. God bless.